Welcome to Practical Christian Living. I love that you and I have not just looked at a smorgasbord of different beliefs and then chosen Christianity. We didn't look at what was out there to offer and then go, I think I'm going to choose Christianity. Really what happened when, when we got saved, for the vast majority of us, is that we were drawn by God. We had a God moment, God showed us our need, and we invited Him in. Today on Practical Christian Living, we begin a new series called Jesus Appointments. We are going to be looking at and studying in depth specific encounters Jesus had with individuals and how Jesus longs to meet with you and I intimately today. If you've never had an encounter with Jesus Christ, we pray you'll stay right here and take a listen and hear God calling you today. With Matthew 3, 1 through 17, and the one who came to prepare the way for the Messiah, here's Robert Furrow. Open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, and here we have the first time that Jesus is beginning anything in ministry. He is 30 years old, and he's going to meet with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is six months older than him. So they are both incredibly young. John the Baptist's life is about done, by the way. John the Baptist will die within the next year. He will be arrested by Herod Antipas because he told Herod Antipas that he shouldn't have his brother Philip's wife. He had taken his brother Philip's wife and, and he arrests him and he eventually has him beheaded. And we won't talk all about that today, but John the Baptist is such a significant person and it was all done by the time that he was 31 years old. God uses him in an incredibly powerful way when he is very young. Also, you have often heard that Jesus and John the Baptist are cousins, right? But you've got to realize they're not cousins. Like, the idea is that Mary's mom is the younger sister of Elizabeth and that they are, they are cousins, that they're first cousins. That's probably not the case. The Bible says that they were related. And we know that, that Zacchaeus, John the Baptist's dad, is a Levite because he's a priest. And we know that Mary and Joseph are from the tribe of Judah. So you have John the Baptist, who is from the tribe of Levi, and Jesus, who is the tribe of Judah. So they have to be related through the women. So Elizabeth is much older. In fact, uh, Zechariah says when, when uh, the angel tells him that his wife's going to have a baby, he says, have you seen my wife? <laughs> she is like really old. And Mary is like 15 years old. So they are in some way or another distant cousins. They are not direct cousins. They are distant cousins. And that's important for us to understand as we see the idea of, of Jesus approaching John the Baptist and John the Baptist beginning to recognize that he's the Messiah. We don't know how much they've interacted with one another up until this point. But we know that God has clearly shown John the Baptist who he is. He knows who he is. He has found himself in Scripture, and he is confident, and he is bold. And when his ministry begins, it is such a unique ministry. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness of Judea. I love that John didn't open up shop downtown Jerusalem. He didn't go, what's the most convenient way for me to meet people? I'm going to go to the, the most convenient place. He went out in the middle of the Judean wilderness where if you were going to go and see him, you had to take a trip. 
you probably had to go camping. And can you imagine the expectation that you would have as you were traveling with your family, talking about this man that you've heard of out in the wilderness that is baptizing people, who's kind of a wild man. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. People were thinking maybe he's the Messiah. In fact, he was asked, are you the Messiah? And he denies it. He says, I am not. But people thought that he was. Can you imagine traveling out to see him? You would have been walking. You would have been talking. You would have a sense of expectation. It's not like on Sunday morning when you hurry to get out of the house and you guys are late and you're really struggling and you get in the car and you drive down and you get here and you're like, okay, I'm here. But it was like a real sense that we're going to see something that God is doing. We're going out here in the wilderness to see this guy in the wilderness of Judea. It says, and here's what he was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was saying things are about to change. We're living in a time where it seems like there's a change around the corner, doesn't it? Our, the normalcy of our lives have, have been disrupted. And even though this is an awful time where in the United States some 90,000 people have lost their lives to this virus so far, God has been able to use the disruption in our lives to cause us to evaluate evaluate and, and that is often what God does when things change we often look and say am I doing what's correct am I doing what is proper we evaluate and so John says the kingdom of heaven is at hand repent and the word repent literally the simplest translation of it is to change change if you if you weep you cry you have regret you that's not repentance that could that could be evolved in repentance but real repentance is when you go, okay, I will never do that again. My dad had an explosive temper. And after I had first gotten married to Lisa, uh, we were only married for a couple of years and we got into a screaming fight. Don't look at me that way. <laughs> you guys are judging me, but you've had screaming fights before, right? So we got into a screaming fight and I grabbed a lamp and threw it on the ground. Today, you could be arrested for domestic violence doing that, right? I grabbed the lamp and I threw it on the ground and I busted it up. And then after everything had calmed down, I had said to her, I, I will never do that again. So I just want you to know that I will never, ever do anything like that again. It wasn't that I was tem never tempted again to do it. But by the grace of God, it wasn't just the statement that I said that was repentance. It was the direction I turned. And that in the midst of the, of, the, of the screaming and the yelling of people in their early 20s just getting married, right? It wasn't that I was able to actually change and go a different direction. And it was by the grace of God that he had done that because I'd seen my dad throw things. I'd seen my dad just come unglued and that's the way I had learned it. But that's when you repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if there's something in your life that needs to change, you need to change it. That's what it is. It's going the other direction. It's moving the other way. So he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For, for this is he who has spoken of in the prophet of Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is a fulfillment of scripture. This is who was said there would be one that would come before the Messiah and this is him. I love that you and I have not just looked at a smorgasbord of different beliefs and then chosen Christianity. We didn't look at what was out there to offer and then go, I think I'm going to choose Christianity. Really what happened when, when we got saved, for the vast majority of us, 
is that we were drawn by God. We had a God moment. God showed us our need and we invited him in. There, there, for me, there wasn't, much, there wasn't much intellectual aspect to it. I wasn't thinking, does God exist? Is there prophecy in the Bible? Is there any evidence for Christianity? When I got saved, were you? Maybe some of you were, but I wasn't. All I knew is God was calling me. God was drawing me. And I said, yes, I want you in my life. But a little bit later on, I found out there is this incredible evidence for what we believe. That it's not like a lot of the other religions that are out there, that we have prophecy. We have things foretold in the Bible. That it was foretold the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That he would come out of Egypt. That his days would be from old. That he would be born of a virgin. That unto us a son would be given. Unto us a child would be born. And he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God. That we were given all of those incredible prophecies in the Bible. In fact, they are so incredible that critics have suggested that the church got control of the manuscripts early on in church history and changed the Old Testament manuscripts. It really has no foundation at all because the church was never really significant for 300 years. There's no way. The church was, was underground and was small for 300 years. There's no way that we as a church had control of the Hebrew manuscripts. To think that we did well, you have the Greek Septuagint. And the Greek Septuagint, it was written before the time of Christ. And Paul quotes from the Greek Septuagint. And so we know that these prophecies were around before. But then there was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. And we found complete copies of the book of Isaiah. The oldest copy of the book of Isaiah we had before 1947 was 500 years old. That's not very old. And all of a sudden, we had a copy that was over 2,000 years old. And the critics said, oh, now we're going to see that Isaiah has been changed, that these prophecies were not in the original scriptures, that somewhere Christians changed things around to make it look like Jesus fulfilled all of these scriptures. And from 1947 until the early 60s, they didn't release the findings. Can you imagine that? There's like 15 years of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. All this is out there. The critics believing that Christians are going to have to believe something different and finally the findings are released and they find that in the book of Isaiah there is no significant differences there were spelling changes there was rearranging of sentences and remember when the news came out that there was no significant differences from the book of Isaiah from the 500 euro copy to the 2000 euro copy it wasn't Christians that made those decisions it was in the Hebrew University it was Jewish people that might even have had a reason to make Christians look like Jesus could not have fulfilled those prophecies and that they weren't there. They were the ones that came out with the findings and found that Isaiah 7:14, Behold, I give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a child and he will be called Emmanuel. And Isaiah 9, 6, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he will be called counsel, uh, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, was in Isaiah. That Psalms 2 had in it, Who is God's son? And then later on in Psalms 2, it says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. All of those prophecies were there so that you and I can have confidence that what we believe is true because we have all of these prophecies that are amazing, that critics wanted to tear down, that cannot tear them down today. Do you know that, well, there are some Psalms that are written with, with Jewish poetry. They start with the alphabet and every verse in the Bible 
they're called acrostic psalms. Every, every uh, letter of the alphabet, a verse in that particular psalm starts with the letter. If it was English, A would start the first verse, B would start the second verse, C would start the third verse. In, it was the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, psalms 119 is acrostic. There's a group of verses that all start with the first letter and then the second letter and the third letter. Well, we had one psalm that we knew a verse was missing because it was a, an acrostic psalm, but there was a verse missing. It was discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found the copy in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the verse that was missing was there and the verse said something like this. You can look it up yourself, but the verse said something like this. God's word is totally trustworthy. <laughs> Isn't that great? It was like God saying to us, I got something for you. A little wink from heaven. You can trust my word. You can believe in my word that when we find a verse that we knew was not there, that we go back and find a discovery in the Dead Sea Scrolls and it speaks of the trustworthiness of God's word. So John the Baptist knew who he was. He knew that he was a voice crying in the wilderness. He knew he wasn't the Messiah. And we need to know who we are. Who are you? He knew who he was. Who are you? You're part of the church, the ecclesia. And the ecclesia is not a word in Greek that means religious gathering. That's not what the church is. The word ecclesia is a borrowed word from the Greek culture where in Athens they had a group of people that were called out. It was about 600 of them that were called out and they were given authority and power to start wars, to, uh, to, to vote in magistrates, to head up leadership. They were the organization in the ancient Greek world that controlled things. They were given power and authority and they were called out from the people. And so when the New Testament, Jesus himself uses the word ekklesia to speak of us, it is that we are called out. We have been given power and authority. We need to know that because sometimes we feel like, well, I'm a Christian, but you know, I'm just kind of like I'm, I'm out there. I'm just, a, I'm, I'm the least of the Christians. I'm just, I'm not really being used by God. Jesus said, Behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will be able to remove mountains. And if you have a faith of a child, nothing will be, will be held from you. We have been given all of that. That we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit because we have come to him and we have drank. Any of you who are thirsty, come unto me and drink. And out of you will gush torrents of living water. That's who we are. If John the Baptist didn't know who he was, how would he be bold with his words? How would he be out in the wilderness of Judea telling people the kingdom of heaven is at hand? He knew he was the one to introduce Jesus and you should know that you are called to introduce Jesus. The salt of the earth, the light of the world, that's who we are. I suggest that we are far more significant than we think and that God is using you in far greater ways than you think. Now look at verse 4. It says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. I want to say that's not normal. It wasn't normal then, and it isn't normal now. It is different. Do you know that God can use different? Are you different? Hey, there you go. You're the kind of person that God, God uses. God uses different kinds of people. And he can even use somebody that dresses in camel's hair. I'm told that camel's hair is really itchy. Elijah had camel's hair, wore camel's hair, and there's a connection between Elijah and John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist is coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah and Elijah will introduce Jesus at his second coming as John the Baptist introduced him at his first coming. So we've got that connection. But I have a little bit of experience with camel's hair on a camel. And I can tell you it doesn't smell good. I, uh, I, when I first went to Israel, I've been there around 14 times now. When I first went to Israel, I, of course I had to ride a camel. You'd go to a gas station and, and it'd be like, there's a camel and they're giving camel rides. So I rode a camel a few times. And, and then when, when I married Kathy, which was five years ago, we went to Israel together and I, and I had swore off camels. After about the second time, I said, never again. I'm done. I'm not going to ride a camel again. They're mean. They spit. They're hard to ride. They want to get you off of it. I'm, I'm done. But Kathy's like, please, please ride a camel with me. Please, just ride a camel with me. So there I am again, and I'm riding a camel. And everything I thought about camels when I was younger is true. They stink. I don't know that John the Baptist stunk because his might have been clean, but I doubt it. This guy lives in the wilderness, all right? He, uh, he has long hair because he was told, to, Dad Zachariah was told not to cut his hair because he would be a Nazarite from birth. Men in their day didn't have long hair. Jesus probably didn't have long hair. Even though all our pictures of Jesus have long hair, men in their day didn't wear long hair like what we see pictures of Jesus. John would have probably looked like a little bit of a crazy guy. He's got a camel's hair. He's got a leather belt. He's eating locusts, which are bugs if you don't know. And he's dipping him in honey to eat. This is, this is anything but normal, but God gets the interest of people with that. And I think that God uses us. He chooses people that people in the world go, huh, huh. Oh, I wonder what God's doing. So it says that he was clothed with leather and camel's hair and he had wild honey. And then it says, and then Jerusalem and Judea and all of the regions around the Jordan went out to see him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. When it says all of Judea, Judea is a region. I don't know that it means every single person because sometimes all doesn't mean all, but all can never mean few. It had to be the significant majority of people that were coming out to see John the Baptist. They thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was the long-promised one. And we need to get a sense of the anticipation that they had. They were looking for the Messiah. I thought it might be good to look at a couple of the teachings of John the Baptist. We're told in Luke chapter 3 some of the things that he taught. First of all, some people came to him and said, he had told them already, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He told them to confess their sins and he baptized them. And then some people asked him, what should we do? How should we live? And in Luke 3, 11, he said, he who has two tunics, give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Me and Kathy were driving home last night talking about that verse because I don't have two tunics. Uh, do you? I, I got like 200 tunics. I got a lot of changes of clothes. I have, my, my closet is collected with two things, for skinny Robert and slightly heavier Robert. <laughs> do you guys have that? I'm not the only one, right? But I got a lot of clothes. And I understand that changes of clothes were worth a lot more in their day, but... I find this very much like what Jesus said. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I find the teachings of John and the teachings of Jesus are close and that we are called by God to meet people's needs when they are hurting. That's part of what Christians do. A tax collector in Luke 3.12 asked John, what shall I do, teacher? And he said, collect no more than what is appointed to you. Be fair and don't cheat people. 
And then in Luke 3.14, a soldier asked him, what should I do? And he said, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Very much like the ministry of Jesus, John and Jesus were kindred spirits. They were kindred spirits in this next part too, because in verse 7 we're told, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptized, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourself, we have uh, Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to rise up children to Abraham from these stones. Brood of vipers. Here you have the most significant spiritual leaders of his day. Jesus kept his harshest words for these people. They were arrogant. They thought they were good because of the works that they did. They were coming out to be baptized to do what everybody else was doing. And he calls them a brood. You know, you know what a brood is? It's a bunch of little baby snakes. He doesn't just call them a bunch of snakes. He's like, you brood of vipers who taught you to flee from the wrath that is to come. And I got to tell you, when I hear Jesus talk to the Pharisees, when I see Jesus especially warning us, don't stand up and pray to be seen by men. Don't give to be seen by men, but give privately, pray privately. I wonder if the church in general, the evangelical church specifically, isn't becoming more and more pharisaical as time goes on. That's not the first time you've heard me say that. It's been a concern of mine for many years. I think that sometimes we're not sincere. We, we, we're, we're hypocritical. We are not real in our faith. And we put on airs that we are more than we really are. And that is more pharisaical than it is like Jesus or like John the Baptist. We want to be humble. We want to be real. We want to be sincere. We don't want to look down our nose at anyone. And we don't want to lay trips on anyone that God hasn't told people to do. There's enough things that God has told them to do without us making up our own rules that we think people should follow in order to be spiritual. Just like Jesus, he had his harsh words for these men. He also said in verse 10, and even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. He's saying, even now a change is coming and you don't even know it. I'm wondering if those aren't words for us today. A change is coming and we don't even know it. I don't know what that change would be, but it sure seems like change is in the air. I don't know whether it's the return of Christ. I don't know whether it's a revival. There are a lot of different people coming up with a lot of different ideas, but I think the ax is laid at the root of the tree. He says, therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He says this to the Pharisees. Being religious isn't good enough. Saying you're a Christian isn't good enough. You have to bear good fruits. And you bear good fruits when you walk with Christ and you are genuine and sincere. He goes on in verse 11 and says, Indeed, I baptize you with repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, of whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit he gives us as power to do the work God's called us to do. But the fire is not the fire of the Holy Spirit. Look at the next verse. His winnowing fan is in his hand. A winnowing fan is something you use to separate the chaff from the wheat. It says his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather wheat into the barn and will burn up the chaff in unquenchable fire. Are you wheat or are you chaff? Are you tares or are you wheat? The church is made up of those who think they are Christians and of those who are genuinely Christians. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
You have to make sure things are real in your life. Are things in your life real today? Because when Jesus comes on the scene, He separates those kind of things. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.